What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Blind Chatter Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner Whitley. This week, I'm joined by Larry, the big chief, and the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Stanfield of Stanfield Hunting Outfitters in Texas. This guy is probably one of the most stand-up guys uh, I've had the pleasure of talking to. He's super funny, well-rounded, has a great perspective on everything hunting and guiding. Uh, if you guys are ever in uh, Texas and you're looking to do a hog hunt, deer hunt, dove hunt, ducks, geese, pheasants, I mean, pretty pretty much anything you can hunt in Texas, check these guys out, stanfieldhunting.com. They've also got a podcast, Jeff Stanfield and Andy Shaver. It's called the Big Honker Podcast. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Be sure to check them out wherever you guys listen to your podcast at. Also, don't forget, Born and Raised Call Co. Uh, if you haven't got your pod call yet, get on there, get you one of the pod calls. Turkey calls, elk calls, duck calls, goose calls, handmade by hunters, for hunters, for the people, by the people, stand-up guys, awesome customer service. Be sure to check them out. And at checkout, don't forget to put Blind Chatter 10 in the box. That'll get you 10% off your total order. Really appreciate you guys listening, and we can't wait for the next episode. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Blind Chatter Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner. I'm here with Larry. Larry, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good, buddy. How are you? I'm great, man. We're also joined today by people People say the world-famous Andy Shaver, but I really think it's the world-famous Jeff Stanfield featuring Andy Shaver. Jeff Stanfield, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. And Andy's the world-famous one. He's the, you know, he's the pretty boy behind the mic. I'm just a talent. So where, where'd the world famous handle come from? Um, Ryan Barnes at split read done an article on Andy's wife, Jesse on their, on their, on their website and did a, a nice article on her. And he said, if you know anything about the waterfowl business, you knew who the world famous Andy Shaver is. Well, we latched onto that shit. And Andy is the more famous <laughs> of us. There's no doubt about it. I, or I guess he is. I don't know. He's, he's, he gives out a whole lot more autographs than I do at things we go to at events. And I'm happy that way. I, I remember buy you a beer than give you an autograph. I remember briefly hearing something about a shirt run from uh, Pacific Calls at Squad Fest where it was like the yes. world famous Andy Shaver and it was an autograph shirt or something. Yeah, and if you got an autographed in a picture of him, I, I I said on our podcast, if you if you get an autographed picture of him signing the shirt or a sign a picture of you with him autographing the shirt or with the autographed shirt, we do a giveaway. And we were going to do that with Michelle at uh, the Ducks Expo, and I put it in there, and Andy took it out, and it slipped out, and I got a couple of po- couple of thousand podcasts went out with it still on there before he changed it, and we had a couple <laughs> of people we had a couple of people do that, so I. I did what I said, and so we had a winner. A kid, a guy done it, but I'm going to give his kid some swag. I'm going to send him some stuff. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's an honor that people even listen to our stuff. And, I mean, I'm, it's, it's been a very humbling experience for us because I never thought our podcast would grow like it has. I didn't know nothing about a podcast. Four years ago, we started this, and it has grown like crazy. And um, But it's very humbling that people will, would, would want your autograph. It's also very humbling that people will listen to you. And I think about that. We sell a lot of t-shirts and hoodies and cups and all kinds of stuff. And if someone's willing to buy your product and wear it, then you should be honored that they do it. And whether you sell one or you sell 10,000 of something. Yeah. Podcasting has become this. It's like a whole nother meta to the world. 
I mean, it started what 15 years ago and it was like, what's a podcast. And now it's like, you got guys like Joe Rogan who post these videos and these, these podcasts with these, these guys who, I mean, he's getting 10, 15, 20 million people listening in to each episode. I mean, he's the most influential man in media. That's a huge, that's a huge number of people. You know, CNN started the CNN Plus that they did. They spent $300 million on it. And we have more downloads per day than they do. Yeah, right. I, that's, I, that. $300 million. Them fuckers should have sent us $200 million and just Absolutely. let us be on their show. But $300 million. And that's not counting all the poor dumbasses at airports and shit that don't get no chance that they have to watch CNN because it's on TV. Oh, yeah. CNN Plus, their new thing has less than 10,000 downloads a day. <laughs> that's how much people don't like, that's how much people don't trust what's going on nowadays. Not at all. It's just. It's a fucking problem. Yep. I, it's, well, it's just, I don't even know what to say about it. It's just. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much politics y'all talk on y'all's show, but we talk a lot about everything. There's nothing off limits on our podcast. Yep. We talk a lot about a politics and it's just like the bullshit that's happening in Grand Rapids, Michigan tonight. They had a, a police officer got in a scuffle with a guy, which is first complete bullshit. He shouldn't be fighting with a cop. If you'll do what you, he tells you to do, you're going to go home and he's going to go home safe. If he's wrong, then he's going to go see a judge and the judge is going to kick it out. I mean, that's the way the system works. But he tried to take the cop's taser. The cop said, put the taser down, put the taser down. Then the cop put him to sleep. Well, if he'd listened to the police officer, he'd be here still. But they want to burn down Grand Rapids, Michigan tonight. And I'm just, and it's, it just floors me that people don't have anything better to do with their time than to find a place to go rob and loot and steal some Nikes. I don't give a shit if a police officer shoots my best friend. If my best friend's fighting with a cop, he shouldn't have done that shit. But I'd be Absolutely. Dead if I'm going to go burn down my town, yep. some innocent person's business, because my dumbass friend wouldn't listen. I was I, I read something today that uh, Seattle, Washington, um, last month investigated zero sex crimes because they they have no people like 160 or 100 to 200 uh, are put on leave because they're not vaccinated. And then they have basically they're about half of the staff that they normally have because a lot of police officers just don't want to work in that city. And so they've had to move all these people around and there was zero sex crimes investigated last month in Seattle. That's just, that's absolutely, that's asinine. Absolutely. If you're a taxpayer and you live in Seattle, you deserve better. But those, but, and, and I feel bad for the people in Seattle and Portland and San Francisco that are outnumbered by these dumbasses that live there. But you just keep voting for the same shit over and over. Look at the United States. In two years, we've transformed from the greatest place on the earth to our greatest country in the world to we're lucky to be top 10 right now because of democratic policies. Nothing in between. That's the only reason we're the way we are. We went from great. We got this China virus. They shot everybody down. They locked everybody up, and it showed how, how bunch of, what a bunch of hypocrites they are, for no reason at all. And those poor people that are dying from this, and I feel, I, but I feel sorry for the people in Seattle. If yeah. I had a daughter and she got raped, I'd be a mad son of a bitch. Absolutely, I'd be in prison. Right? Yeah, and that, and I'd, that's right. I'd find the guy. 
that that's the problem we have though is we don't have any kind of country justice anymore mm-hmm. everybody turns their their cheek you know we need to quit turning cheeks and start slapping somebody's ass i really did like that uh abbott out of texas sent that busload of migrants the first busload into dc that you know that that was that was nice i want to see that every day I, I think they're planning on it. They're, no, I say so. they're planning on doing it for an extended period of time until they see a change from what I heard. Well, the department, he's not going to change because he's up for re-election. So he's going right. to stick to it because he gets guys like me get excited when we do that shit. The Mexican folks in Texas are turning red anyways. They're turning it. That's that the Democrats have lost their biggest majority of voters in the Hispanic. I say Mexican, Hispanic, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. But I live around a bunch of Mexicans. They're from Mexico. Every one of them, they'll tell you they're Mexicans. I've never heard mm-hmm. one of them say happy Hispanic day or anything. So, mm-hmm. but those people are voting red. They, they don't vote blue no more. The, the valley all down along the coast or the Texas-Mexico border, it's all turning red. Mm-hmm. Those people are voting red. There's, they've had enough of that shit too. And they don't like all the trash coming over. There is no community in Texas that wants to lose good workers that want to work and be part of our society. We don't. We love it. I right. live in a town probably that's 70% Mexican. Mm-hmm. Great people. They're all Trump people. You can't find 10 people in our town that didn't vote for Trump. We got a couple of dumbasses, but most everybody's a sure. Trump voter. Well, those people, they want to see them buses go up there. You know, send them some bitches to Martha's Vineyard and put them next to Obama and them. They right. I, right. And if you really want something funny, read the Twitter, the comments on Twitter for like NBC or ABC, one of the mainstream medias. And these people, well, I'd rather have a bunch of the illegals live next door to me than the Republicans. Yeah, I bet my ass on that, honey. The first mm-hmm. time they pull in next door and they move in next to you, you'll be bitching and calling the homeowners association. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's good enough for us, it's good enough for them. I hope they send up. I hope they send every one of them up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about COVID and stuff. I mean, it's like they're already talking about, I think, uh, is it Philly? Did Philly already go back to mass. a mass mandate? Yeah. Yep. I saw like, where airplanes are going to May 5th now. I've got a trip at the end of May, and I'm sure hoping they get rid of the mass by then. Yeah, uh, there was that extension that I just saw also. I don't fly a lot, but Larry flies a lot. I had to fly in. I went down to Arizona. I drove from uh, from Albany, Oregon to Arizona, Phoenix, and then I flew back. And that's fucking ridiculous having to wear a mask on an airplane the whole time dude i tried to sleep and i'm like what the fuck am i supposed to do with this like you know they tell me to put it over my nose nose. i put it down here and they're like oh so you need to and i'm like i trying to sleep man it feels like i'm got a pillowcase over my head well they're not going to land the. they're not going to stop the plane in midair and kick your ass off so just keep pulling it down they'll they'll keep telling you but they're not going to do nothing uh or eat a cheeto I saw people were starting to eat like lollipops and shit like that. They'd keep yeah. it in their mouth the whole time. Like I can't I have a, I have, I'm eating yeah. something and yeah, yeah that, I'm that, co- that COVID's a fancy fucking virus. It knows the difference between if you got a lollipop and not, it's going to tack your ass. If you don't have a lollipop in your mouth. I did have a, I did have a stewardess one time. I had a bag of like uh, uh Cheez-Its, you know, and those airplane ones only have about seven or eight inside the fucking package. And uh, I, I tried to nurse that thing for like an hour and a half. And, yeah, and she called me out on it like three times. I was like, just let me eat in peace. Somebody said they was on a flight of American Airlines the other day, and in first class, they didn't make the people wear masks, but they made it. My poor boy ass Ooh. in the back, if they do that shit, I ain't wearing mine. I took mine off 
three or four trips ago off the plane. I took mine off in the plane and lady got on to me. And I told her, I said, listen, Biden went to eat at a Mexican restaurant in D.C. and he wasn't wearing a mask. I ain't fucking wearing one. They'll make you inside. I said, no, they won't. I'm in Texas. They will make me put shit on. And they did. Nobody said nothing to me. I, I had a bad flight out of Indianapolis back to uh, Oregon. And I had some bad food in the airport and actually puked on myself in the fucking airplane. And it wasn't like a heavy vomit, but it was enough, right? And uh, I, my, I, I threw my mask away and I walked in. This is in the middle of the pandemic. And I walked out of the airplane with my no mask on. I walked all through. I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and change my clothes. I was like, fuck it. It's like one o'clock in the morning, 1230 at night. I just beelined it right for the pickup. Nobody said anything to me. I think they saw it was a man on a mission and not to fuck with me or something because I just went. Let me ask you this. If people were really, really, really worried that that mask was going to keep them from getting a disease that was going to kill them or a virus, you don't think everybody would have stopped and hollered at you? Right. Everybody knows it's bullshit. I mean, a fucking diaper over your fucking head ain't keeping keeping you from getting sick. I mean, it's like everybody's wearing those fucking neck gaiters from like, uh, those fucking fishing companies. They got like the fishing net gators, and it's like, you know, like that's not doing anything. Like when it's cold outside and they're wearing them and they're breathing really heavy, and you can see the mist coming out of there. Like you know that that's not doing a thing for you. I don't see anybody. We we very seldom see anybody wearing a mask in Texas anywhere. And and you also when when you do see someone, you don't want to make fun of them because you're thinking they might really have something wrong, a lung disease or something. Right. Yeah. So you don't want to say nothing. But inside you're thinking, what a dumb fuck. The ones that are inside their car alone is tough. I saw that today. (laughs) I saw a lady getting pulled over by Oregon State police on I-5. And she went out of her way. I had to stop. Like there, there was so much traffic. I had got over and like everybody was trying to get over and we slowed down. I saw this lady reach into her passenger seat, put a mask on, roll her window down to talk to OSP. Like, he's not going to be that close to you. Like, he, not to mention, he's going to go on the passenger side of your vehicle because you're pulled over on the right shoulder. He's not going to get in the lane of traffic. They go to the passenger side now. So he's going to be a car width away from you. Just take your mask off and talk to the guy, man. Like, it's not. Yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely gotten ridiculous. It's the world we live in. You West and you West Coast guys have more than we have to deal with. Oh, fuck. Dude, it's just been a, just how fucking Tanner always votes. Jesus, right. <laughs> I'm, gonna be in, I'm gonna be in Oregon in the summer. Are you? What part of Oregon you coming to? We're, we're gonna be around Astoria. We're staying oh. in uh, Ocean Shores, Washington, for a week. Rented a place on the ocean for a week. Nice. There kids, kids, grandkids, the whole family's gonna be there, but. I think we're going to go to Astoria for the day and probably go to Cannon Beach one day. Mm-hmm. Is that up by, uh, what is that, Iwaco? Like, I don't know where Iwaco is. Larry, you know where Iwaco's at? No. God damn it, there's some good sturgeon fishing up there. We're going to be basically where the Columbia River drops into the ocean. Yeah, yeah. I want to say is on the northern side of the river. I think it might be in, in Washington. I'll, but... I'll, be, I'll be right up by there then. Beautiful yeah. area. Oh, yeah, it's super nice up there. Super nice up there. What part of uh, what part of Texas are you in again? I'm in West Texas, a little town called Knox City. I'm one hour north of Abilene, Texas, and one hour southwest of Wichita Falls, Texas. The Big Empty. Yeah. What What goes on over there? Um, got a bunch of peanuts. We, oh, you mean hunting wise? No, nah, just kind of everything. We have we have peanuts and we have corn. 
and all, all of our everything that's irrigated this year is probably going to have peanuts and corn on it or a lot of it um they're planting a lot of cotton this year cotton's going to be cotton is going to be a big game changer for the waterfowl hunting all of texas and oklahoma this year because the cotton prices are sky high we're in a drought they can plant cotton a couple inches deeper than they normally do they can insure it and if it don't come out they're going to come out pretty good on the thing where they'll be screwed if we get a bunch of rain and then they'll have to spray it and do all that. So if we do have a drought, there'll be a ton. If it doesn't start raining in the next four weeks, you're going to see a ton of cotton. The whole Texas panhandle. So it's going to change the migration patterns with the birds. Lubbock area, Amarillo. Um, our area, we still have a lot of irrigated peanuts and corn, so we should be in pretty good shape. But we're not going to have a lot of milo this year. And then um, I don't expect – there'll be a lot of wheat. All our cattle farmers are going to do wheat again. But that's the majority of our product crops we hunt on is peanuts and corn and milo on a normal year in winter wheat hmm. yeah see that's a nice like i wish around here we had a little bit more of a, a variety you know up here it's like <clears throat> you get your uh get your corn in the the september season on a cornfield normally or a, or a wheat field and then after that it's like you get corn or you get annual ryegrass it's really it or some fescue maybe some wedging and some fescue or something but like other than that like at least for me it's it's like there's not not a whole big variety. I mean, sometimes you'll get a random this year. We had a whole field pop up that was all wheat in like January. winter wheat. Right. Yeah, it was so all winter it's, wheat it's, in like January. It's all green right. about that's, this tall. Yeah. That's what we have too. And then and they run the cattle on it on a wet year, they'll run cattle and grazing. So you're hunting in wheat fields that got cattle on them. That's the way it is down here. Hmm. But that's that's what we're gonna be hunting off of here is gonna be the grains. We have a lot of cotton. Cotton, you don't get any use out of at all. I mean, no. we don't get any hunting out of it. It's I'm not a big fan of the cotton. So you're born and then now you're here. So what happened in between to get you where you are now? What what made you get into the the outfitting business and and really what made you start kind of the the podcast that you know, like we talked about before the mics got hot, it's kind of starting to pick up some speed on you. We uh I started in the hunt business. I was born in Wichita. I was, I've lived in Wichita Falls my whole life. And my dad was in the, was in, was a fireman in Wichita Falls. And they work one day on and two days off. And he, he, he learned how to waterfowl hunt on his own. He hunted his whole life, grew up hunting and stuff. But he grew up in Southeast Kansas in the area around Buffalo and Chanute that right now is real famous for a lot of ducks and geese. But when he was growing up there, they didn't have a lot of ducks and geese. And so he grew up in the early sixties, him and my mom get, got married uh, my dad played music all over the United States and then he joined the fire department, got a real job, two little boys, me and Tony. And he hunted, he, he, he taught himself how to waterfowl hunt. And I learned right along with him. Me and Tony did. Well, when I got out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was headed basically going nowhere. I went to school some, I worked. I didn't, I mean, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. And I was going to school and I had a lease out here that we hunted on. It wasn't a lease because lease you had to pay to hunt. It was a free place to hunt. And it was like everything else back then. You could just knock on a door and get a place to hunt. We had an area that we hunted that nobody else hardly hunted and knocked on door and got permission to hunt. And the guy let us hunt. We hell, we hunted for about three weeks. And he called me up one day. It was right after Christmas. And he told me we couldn't hunt no more. He said, well, I just can't let you hunt no more. And I thought we did something wrong. And he's like, I had some guys from Dallas offer me $1,000 for that place. And I could really use the $1,000. I was like, man, I understand. I don't have a thousand dollars in college and poor. I said, I can pay you a thousand dollars, but I have to guide some hunts on it. And I'd hunted a lot. And I had a lot of friends with, you know, we'll pay for the gas if you take us hunting. So I 
I told that guy that, and he told me I could guide on it. And I ran an ad in the Dallas paper and I had a job, I had a really good job. I had a, uh, I worked for the United States air force at their base, which stuff falls at shepherd air force base. And I had a civil service job and I, I worked in the sports department. I took care of uh, kid basketball and football fields and all that shit. And I had a really cool boss and he let me kind of do what I wanted. I worked my own hours around my college schedule and I started, I put an ad in the Dallas paper. I come home that day and I had a call from a guy from Montana and I charged $90 for a hunt. And it was one guy gas was priced 85 cents a gallon. And I drove two hours speed limit was 55 miles an hour. Then I drove two hours to meet this guy to hunt. Me and dad took him out and the guy paid me 120 bucks and I made a $30 tip. Now at that time, I could go to a bar in Wichita Falls that I used to frequent quite often. And it was $5 to get in and you could drink free till 11 o'clock. $30, yeah. $30 was a lot of money back then. So that was my tip. Well, I got home that day and I had a call for three guys wanting to hunt on like three days later. And I made $300. They gave me $30 tips. They were kind of tight asses, I guess, on the tipping. But she had made 300 bucks to do something I like to do. <laughs> well, Tony, my brother, was going to school at the same time. And I told him, I said, listen, me and you go partners on this and we'll take turns doing it. That way I don't have to leave work every day and you can take off your job. He's playing college football and he didn't have to work all the time either. So we become partners and that's how Stanfield hunting started. That first year I would go, I'd leave my house at two 30 in the morning in Wichita Falls town of 120,000 people. And I would stop at Whataburger and I would get a breakfast burrito, something to drink. And I'd stop and get gas and as I was leaving town, I would see someone I was going to school with and friends with out partying that were coming in from the night. They were coming in while we were going out. And I'd see somebody every freaking night that I would leave and go guide hunts. So that first year, I didn't do anything but hunt. The second year, we went to a hunting show. And Jim Kern, a friend of mine, it was on the podcast the other day, pro, played pro baseball forever for the Rangers. I got to be friends with him at a show in Dallas. And he invited me to go to this show in Fort Worth called the Texas trophy hunters set up a booth. We had a video of some hunts we'd done the year before. And when I left there, we had sold out almost our whole season. And from then on, it just a snowball effect. And that, that first year, me and Tony just, we ran one group a day and we took turns to get working every day, every other day we would work, or we would both go and film and hunt. And it was, the hunting was really easy. It was really uh, waterfowl hunting in our area in the, 90 early 90s was probably as good as anywhere in the united states has ever been i mean we you shooting a limit by 7 30 8 o'clock every morning i mean done ducks and geese both a lot of days but we had winter back then and we had a migration but that kind of started and we that that year was just me and him the next year we started running two and three groups a day now we run three to five groups a day between oklahoma and texas we have a lodge that we can sleep 60 people we feed 30 to 40 people every day seven days a week um, when the, we, we start season here this year, I think November 5th, and I'll have 20 to 30 people here. And by the time January gets here, we'll have 30 to 40 people every day. And it's seven days a week. We'll take off. Thanks. We'll be off Thanksgiving day. The morning after Thanksgiving, we're off. We'll be off December 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 26th. And we'll be off December 31st, January 1st, or January 2nd. We hunt every other day and we'll, and we'll be sold out every day other than those days. Damn, that's, that's, uh, that's the hunting business for that's Stanfield hunting up business. But we start in September cause we run dove hunts starting in September and we'll run, Oh, 
30 days in September or 31. I can't remember right now. We'll run 20. We'll run 24 out of 31 days in September and we'll run another 12 days. We'll run 36 days of dove hunters with the whole lodge just about sold out basically for two months in September and October. And then we'll take off for a couple of weeks before goose season starts. And then we're done now. We won't, we won't have any hunters here till September. We just did our last turkey hunts this week. And, um, but the podcast, you asked me about podcasts. Am I talking too much? No, 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 you're good, man. I love hearing this. Yeah. Podcast wise. Me and Andy were in Oklahoma at Hobart, where we stay at Goose Camp up there. We're there, and Andy comes in one time, and he he was listening to Joe Rogan because he would talk about Joe Rogan, him and Zach would. And I didn't, I knew who Joe Rogan was, but I didn't, and I and I really didn't know what a podcast was. I'd never listened to one. And he goes, "You guys that listen to me, I'm a pretty opinionated person, and I talk a lot. So, and my Facebook is not politically correct. So he goes, you need to get you a podcast. I go, I'm not getting no podcast." I said, he said, no, man, I think it'd be really good for business to get a podcast. There's not really a waterfowl podcast. He said, there's some, he said, I think it'd be really interesting. And I said, I'll tell you what, me and you do a podcast together and I'll do it with you. So Andy was the big push for us getting a podcast. Now, there, when we first got into the waterfowl podcast, I think there maybe was 15 to 20 podcasts in the waterfowl podcast. Now I think there's 25,000 of them because I have guys, I get a message once a week from a guy that's starting a new podcast and same when, what do we need to do? Blah, 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 blah. I said, you talk to Andy and Andy's answer is the same. Listen, I learned on YouTube. You need to get some YouTube and, and, and figure it out by watching YouTube. Someone's got a, how to start a podcast. That's the best way to go. And I've had, I have people in town here in Knox city. We got 1100 people and I have people all the time and they see the success we've had with our podcast. And we've been very successful and we've been very blessed and they will ask them or they'll, they'll say, man, you and Andy got a pretty good podcast. Y'all got sponsors. I think I'm going to start me one. What the hell are you going to talk about? <laughs> it's not you know it's it's we have a genre that we're, we're in the hunting business mm-hmm. and we're very blessed because our story is so different than most people's are in the hunting business is me and tony started a business 30 years ago two brothers with a passion we learned from my dad my dad retired in I gotta look at the side, 95 is when my dad retired my dad retired in 1995 from being a fireman and when he retired he came up here with us full time he he helped do goose hunts he started our pheasant hunting operation so that's, that's when my dad was here full-time. We started hunting ourselves full-time in about 91 or 92. This will be our, our 30th year, but it's a family business. I got married. Michelle takes care of all the meal stuff in, that, that's here. So that's another dynamic to it. I married her. She had two little boys. They're, they're my boys. I raised them as my own. And then we had a son together. Well, the, all three of our boys were raised at the lodge, yeah. you know? Payne, our youngest one, and Zach, they don't ever remember, I don't think, not having the lodge in their life. Andy may remember a little bit. I didn't meet, you know, I married Michelle when he was eight, but his whole life has been around here. He's 34, 25 years of his life has been at the lodge. Um, our, our youngest son, Payne, is 23. I'm horrible. 23, 24 years old. He never knew, not didn't know anything about other than being in a lodge. Well, mm-hmm. Tony's got a daughter. She's, she's been raised at the lodge. She's 15 years old, Kylie. So, all this was together and my dad was here and then my dad passed away on lung cancer, but it's a family. We had the same clients that are here. 90% of the guys that are here at repeat business. We get to know them. We see them three, four times a year. They're family. Also mm-hmm. my guides, this is a place my guides stay a long time. You know, we had this year, I think we had 23 employees during the middle of hunting season. Wow. 
That's a lot of people. We have a family table. We have dinner at every night and there's 23 people sitting at that dinner table to to 30 some nights because Andy's two little boys are here. My uh, Jameson and Reese and then Dylan, my granddaughter's here a bunch. And then Zach and Shelby and Landon, they're here sometimes. So there's sometimes 30 plus people sitting here every night having dinner together. We break bread. That's such a good feeling though. Yes, it is. I'm, I look, I sit at that table and I sit at the end of the table and I look down it and I see all my family. I see the kids at work for me and I call them kids and they're all men, but to me, they're kids because they're so much younger than me. There was a time when I was first had guys working for me. I was the same age as my guides were 30 years ago. Now Andy's older than a lot of my guides, but I can relate to them because they're my kids age. And I talk to them and I visit with them, but I sit there and I look at that table and I think, man, I am so blessed because my dad used to tell me that all the time. He, he, when he got really sick at the end, we, we were fighting him on going to a nursing home. And then we ended up having to put him in the hospital up here. And I was like, dad, I don't know why you're so damn hard headed. You can go to a place. You've got a nurse. They're going to feed you three meals a day. They're going to make sure you're bathed. They're going to make sure you're, you got all your medicine. Everything's there. We're in town. We can come pick you up and bring you out here when they want to. He's like, well, I just want to be with you guys. Well, he want to be around his family. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of guys in the hunting business that get to sleep in their own bed every night. And, and, and have meals, you know, we, we eat at least two, I eat two meals a day. I'm not here for breakfast in the morning because that's too early. Tony does that. But Michelle feeds me two meals a day with, with 30 other people, her and the ladies that work here every day. And we're blessed. But that story is makes our podcast, has made our podcast successful because we can talk about other things. You can talk about anybody in the waterfowl business that's been in it a long time. And I know them somehow, you know, from 30 years down the road, you, you waterfowl is a small circle. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same people over and over again. You know, I went, when I first got into hunting business, Tim Grounds was the big guy. Well, then it was Jeff Foyles. Then it was Fred Zink. Now I think it's Dive Bomb, you know, and Asher and Cody have a great place going right there. I mean, in every one of those guys, but I've, I've evolved with every one of those guys. I've known them and been around them and done some business with them. And it's hard to get a guy that's got a waterfowl podcast. It just hunts doing whatever he does. It has those connections. So I don't even know how I've got off in this tangent, but I think that's what's made our, our hunt. I think that's one thing that's made our podcast so successful is the time we've had it in it and the family dynamics that no one, it's hard. You can't, you can't copy all that. Cause there's a lot of drama when you're working with your wife and your brother and your kid. Oh God. I can only imagine my, my brother's my boss at work. Um, and it's, uh, you, you understand. Oh, oh yeah. We had a couple bouts. <laughs> we had a couple bouts this summer where uh, we were in the parking lot and he really, gr- he really pissed me off. And I, opened the door to my truck and I stepped out of it and I looked at him and I pointed at him and I said, you can go fuck yourself. And we got in this big old yelling match about, I don't know, probably four or five minutes long in front of all these people. Both of us got in our trucks and left and I saw. Was it better the next day? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was better. That's that's the family dynamic that people don't understand because me and Tony got me and Tony don't hardly argue at all. Now, 30 years ago, we got into two or three or four of them a day. Yeah. I mean, when we were little kids, one time we used to—I used to beat the shit out of Tony. I was the older one, and I <laughs> out of him every day. And then he, he, when he got in high school, he outgrew me, and by college, he would have killed me. So I knew not to fight him no more. But I still—I didn't want him to know that I was scared of him. But right. we still argue a lot up until about 15, 20 years ago, and now we don't hardly argue. We got into it the other day over—I can't even remember what it was—but Andy videoed it. He thought it was funny and put it on our Instagram or Facebook. But it was just a all just a vocal argument. But when it was over, it was over. There's no yeah, hard feelings. Yeah. But if Tony wasn't my brother and just some guy that worked for us, it would there would be someone to have some feelings hurt. I'd either want to fire your ass or you'd want to quit. I mean, that's just it. But with the family deal, you just 
that's part of it. I'm Italian and we just loud and we speak loud and we argue and that's the way it is. Yeah. Well, the family dynamic is, I mean, that's a suit for me, at least that'd be a super important um, trait that I would make sure gets kept the same throughout the eternity of however long the Stanfield hunting adventures and, and outfitter exists. I mean, it, I hope it goes through Andy's boys do this. You know, I, I have no idea. I don't, I'll never retire. I love, I, I love what I do. I mean, I do. I love being in the hunting business. I love being around my family and being around my friends. I get to be myself. You know, I'm not politically correct. I don't have to kiss nobody's ass. I, I'm really good at dealing with customers. We have problems and stuff. Um, if we have a bad hunt, I deal with it. If we have a good hunt, I deal with it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, this ebb and flow of stuff, bad days and good days, I don't get caught up in. Last year, November to middle of December was lights out as good a hunt as we've ever had. From middle of December to the end of January, absolutely the worst fucking season we've ever had. Sounds familiar. There mm -hmm. wasn't no, but but I didn't change them. When we were just pounding the piss out of them early. I'm like, listen, don't put a bunch of uh, pile picks. We ain't got no winter coming. You know, I didn't know if we was going to get winter or not, but I've done it long enough that I know that it's going to crash eventually. And so it's hard to enjoy the good times when, you know, the bad times are right around the corner. And it, but when the bad times are there, you got to realize, hey, it's going to end and the, the good times are going to come. And we had a fucking full moon, it seemed like, from December 15th to January 31st. It seemed like the moon never went away. Fucking everybody did. Yeah. Everybody I mean, it, it did. Was, it was nationwide. That's why it cracks me up when some guy, like, I had a young guy call me not long ago, and he was wanting to pick my brain on some decoys. So I was talking to him. And he goes, well, how was your season? I said, oh, we had a hard season. I said, early was really good, bad season. But the last was good. Oh, mine was great every day from, from day one to the end. We just, well, I was like, okay, like, you either don't hunt very often or you're full of shit. Right. You know, and, and there are some honey holes out there where you, you kill some, but I mean, it's guys like that floor me. Or the guy that stops me at a gas station and he does two guided hunts a year. He'll come up, I do the same thing you do. And then he tells me what I do. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, dude, you're, you're hunting within 30 miles of me. I've never heard of you. I don't know who you are which doesn't mean nothing, but usually anybody that's, there's three guys out here that hunt. I know them really well and we do business together back and forth and all kinds of stuff. And I'm thinking, I don't think you have a clue. Hunting twice a year is not the same thing as hunting seven days a week, running four and five groups a day. It's a, it's a different animal, but it's, that's, it's just crazy. And he, he had two good hunts. He was telling me how great a season he'd had. He'd hunted two times and well, best season we've ever had. Yeah. All seven of your clients had a great season. Good for you, buddy. I'm proud for you. <laughs> You know, uh, so. we got but, a bunch of we got a bunch of guys running around the valley like that here too. Where I they just never to, have a bad day. Every day is a great day to be a waterfall hunter. Yeah, I used to have a guy that guided out here, and he'd like he'd, he'd tell me that shit. Well, first of all, we all hunt in a ten mile circle, so you hear everything going on, and he would tell me all the time, "Yep, done it eight o'clock this morning." I'm like, Fuck, I drove by ten thirty, going back to fucking had to go to Haskell and pick something up. I saw you in the spread still at ten thirty. I'm why do you lie? You know, right. <laughs> You know, it don't do you no good. We all know. There's you know, eyes sitting, everywhere. You're next, yeah, you're sitting next to someone. You know, our, our fields, there are days that we hunt a quarter to a half mile away from each other. Now, when I'm telling people, and, and I have people that don't really believe this, there's three outfitters that hunt in our area. When I say we work together, we work together. I usually know by 5.30, it's dark by 6 in the wintertime. By 5.30, I usually know where everybody's hunting at. Everybody, the other outfitters, we talk mm -hmm. so we don't mess each other up. We work together. And I think that is a rare thing 
because I've hunted in Oklahoma and it's a shit show up there. Nobody wants to work with nobody. I mean, well, that's not true. There are a couple of guys I work with up there, but if you, if other outfitters, if you'll work together with your competitors, you'll make your life a lot easier and you'll save yourself some money. Yeah. A lot of people like to, to fight against the, what everybody else is doing and, and they don't want to work together on it. They want to work against each other. And it's never, nobody's going to benefit from that. Everybody's going to lose at the end of the day and nobody's going to go home happy. No, my first 10 years in the hunt business, it was just like that. It's like, we can whip your ass if we get in a fight. So we're not scared of you. Well, as you get older, you realize you're old and probably when them young guys are going to whip your ass <laughs> or you just get smarter and you realize it's not worth it, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and nowadays somebody don't want to fight. They want to shoot somebody. Oh, so, that's a whole nother tangent. Yeah. But so, yeah, you need to work together. We try to work real well out here. We do a real job. Both places we hunt, even Oklahoma, I work with the guys, but that's the key is to work together, man. That would help our hunting, the hunting so much. We're all in the same business. Everybody wants to kill birds. So <laughs> that, that's the key to that. Yeah. So we've talked about the, we've talked about the big honker podcast. We've talked about your come up. What do you do? Do you only do the outfitter thing? Do you have a, a day job other than that? No, I haven't. Well, I am a judge in a small town. You're a and judge. I, I'm a judge. And I have court once a week. A couple hours. I do warrants. I can, I'll magistrate people that are in jail. I have to go get them out of jail. And so I do all the, all the, all the responsibilities that come with being a judge in a small town. I do. Um, I don't have to go out when people are dead and I wouldn't do that. I don't like dead people. And I can marry you and do stuff like that. But I don't do a lot of, I, I try to stay out of that. Judges can marry judge, people? Yeah, I can marry people. I never have. I don't know that came with being a judge. Oh, yeah, that's pretty common. What the, that's, so you're There's telling me the guy, so you're telling me if I get a Dewey. People get married at the courthouse, right? I mean, that's, all that's, the time. that's what happens, oh, right? shit, that's right. Come on, Tanner, you know. I know, fucking God, I'm an idiot. But I've avoided that. So Blake asked me to marry him and Emily. I think, I think that's what he told me, but I don't know. I need to check if I can do that in Nebraska, but I think I'm going to retire as being a judge pretty soon. I've been a judge for 14 years. And I've, I've, I'm, I'm ready to be done being a judge. You probably seen some shit. Some, some weird fuckery, stuff coming through sure. there. Some you, know, you, you see some of the same weird fuckers all the time. <laughs> most of, most of the people that uh, I mean, you have your clientele. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. And it's passed down from generation to generation. Majority uh, okay. of the people I see are good people. They just done something once, something stupid once in their life. I mean, it's I'm not dealing with a bunch of, you know, I'm not dealing with downtown Baltimore and all the bullshit they go with. It's a country town, and we have the same problems that a big city has, just a lesser degree of it. And I've had to, I've had some things I've had to deal with that's, that makes you feel bad. I mean, and I've I've had some people done some really bad things. I felt really bad for them for because I. They were good people. They just done some dumb things. I don't send people to prison. I put them in jail. You know, big difference. You know, I can send them to jail for a week or two, you know, and, and set their bonds where they stay in jail for a while. But they're going to go to a big court when they're going to go to prison for a long time. Right. Um, it's a being a judge in a small town isn't easy because you have to you can't get your feelings hurt. You know, I've been called a motherfucker more than once. <laughs> I have too. Makes you feel any better. Yeah. yeah. But I got called a lot before I was a judge. I got called. So it wasn't nothing new to me. Yeah. Uh, it's people are disrespectful now more than they used to be. 
people would come into court <laughs> and they would shake your hand and they'd sit down and yes, sir, no, sir. Same way I would be if I went to court. Yes, sir, no, sir. When I have went to court, you know, I've gotten speeding tickets many times in my life. Yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, sir, I'm sorry. You know, but people a lot, people come in with a chip on their shoulder. What gets me is the young kids that come in with their parents and their parents got a chip on the shoulder. Then the kids got a chip on the shoulder. Well, if my kid goes to court and I got to go in there with him, I'm going to be mad at my kid. I ain't mad at the judge or the cop. I'm mad at my kid for doing something stupid. You don't see much of that anymore. It's the opposite of that now. Matter of fact, it's so di- it's it's it happens so little that when someone comes in that a parent's on my side or the police officer's side, I really appreciate them. They're good parents. And I always tell them you're doing a good job raising your kid. Well, if, like, and I, I think also like for me, I, I, I've never been in that situation before. But if I feel that that the parents of the situation or whatever are taking the right approach, then that makes me feel like I wouldn't have to do that. Oh, it's, um, it's yeah, that's that's exactly know? right. We one, one of the few rules I have is one thing I, I can't stand being lied to. Right. I can't stand that. If you're going to lie to me, then I'm, I'm going to be an ass. But if you're telling me the truth and what's going on, I can work with you. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to put nobody in jail. I don't mm-hmm. want to take a, a guy that got some tickets for something, whether it's, you know, his tags out or no license or speed and whatever it was. And he's raising his kids and stuff. I don't want to sit him with, you know, a $600 fine. Let him pay $20 a month. It's still $600, but he can pay it off over time. I don't, you know, that's right. not our job is to put you in jail for the rest of your life over a damn, some little offense like that. But mm-hmm. people make it hard on themselves. They don't pay their fines. And then they get a warrant. And then, yeah. you know, you take it out of someone's hands to try to help you help yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And be honest about stuff. That's society doesn't know how to help itself, though. No, not at all. Yeah, and then, fuck, look where we're at now. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because there's no respect in the world. And then an, an, another thing that I like to do is, um, I don't think it's fair for a poor kid to have to work off his fine when a rich kid whose parents will pay his fine. So I make any kid under 18 years old work their their a ticket off. Perfect. So that's because I think it's fair. Cause we all come from different backgrounds. You know, mm-hmm. I might be able to afford to pay $500 for my kid to not have to pay his ticket, but the other person may not be able to do that. Well, how, what, what lesson has my kid learned? Because I, I paid his fucking ticket. That daddy will take care of it. Oh yeah. I've had dads. That's the only one that he learned right there. Oh, and those dad, yeah. the dads are the ones that all get pissed off because what happens is little Johnny goes home and whines to his mom and the mom gets on dad's ass. And I've been <laughs> there before. And if your wife's on your ass over something, you're going to try to fix the damn thing. So I'm, I'm, I don't, that's, but I, I see it. So that just takes it out of the dad's, the dad can't get, well, that asshole Jeff, he, you know, making him work it off. Well, that's the rules. Good for my kid. Good enough for your, if it's good enough for my kid, it's good enough for your kid. Not everybody has money, but everybody has the ability to work. Some people just may not want to, but. Well, 99% of people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fair but enough. There's, we, had, we had a kid one time. I can't mention no names. Gotta get in trouble for this, but he, uh, he didn't know how to work a broom. A fucking broom? Yeah, he was sitting. Electricians can do that. Anybody can do it. <laughs> he was sitting in the parking lot of a city. Electricians have a whole lot more go than this kid did. And he's just sitting on this little broom, just kind of like this, laying on it. The deal. And I, was, I had court that day, and I come out and I go, I thought you had community service for three weeks. Well, I am on community service. I go, what do they tell you to do? Uh-oh, sweep the parking lot. I said, well, get to sweeping. Why are you sweeping this thing? I said, well, you know, so I told him, I said, put me, make his ass. It's fucking summertime. It's 105 degrees. Just make him stand out in the middle of that parking lot and hold that broom for eight hours. Oh, a day. God, you know, shit, if he don't want to help himself do that. I mean, you know how hot that, oh my God, oh, it, was, it was miserable. Fuck. You go just sweat drenched. You just sitting there. 
Like, but if you sleep and move a little bit, you get some air moving on you, make that sweat at least cool you off a little bit. <laughs> you know, and city, well, that, that city guy, we used to have this old city, the city that public works director, how he gets so mad because he was not lazy and his kids weren't lazy and he did not like other lazy people. And so he had a real issue with this kid. This is a long, long time ago. So it was, I, but yeah, you see a lot of stuff like that, but that's my only job that I've had other than being in the hunting business for, I haven't had a job for anybody else since I took a leave of absence from Shepherd Air Force Base 28, 28 years ago. I guess I still have keys to the place. I'm assuming they know I'm not coming back. <laughs> you may want to clarify that. There yeah. are some stupid people in the world. I think, no, the keys might be at the house. They're, they're on a key ring. I've still got government keys for Shepherd Air Force Base for about six different buildings. I saw them not long ago, and I thought, I wonder if they ever recognize They ever wonder what happened to old Jeff. Oh, God, you better be careful. I'm going to come still after the, you. Maybe I'm still on the clock, too, there. I wonder if that guy's ever hey. coming yeah. <laughs> Breaking in some serious OT. <laughs> so what's uh somebody asked uh asking about the webfoot drama in knox county back in the late 90s who asked that i'll answer the question who was that uh get his name something burrows fives i don't know who that'd be um let me tell you hold on maybe if i can get this fucking will burrows will burrows i don't know who that is i don't know anyways um about my third or fourth year in business, I decided we were going to do a change on guides. And the guys working for me decided they were going to start their own business. So they talked this poor guy into turning his restaurant into a, a lodge. And two years later, all of them but one was left out of about seven guys. I think there were seven of them went as partners. If you know anything about the waterfowl business, seven equal partners don't work. And they started their own business. And... I'm still here 30 years later and they're gone. <laughs> now, Webfoot's been purchased by another guy or two. And now Roger owns it. Roger's a good guy and we work together and he's at the same place. The poor guy that owned the restaurant, he lost the restaurant and was it's, it was a complete fiasco for them guys over there. But a uh, guy that, that was, they ended up with it, ended up shooting himself and he survived. And um, it just, I'm trying not to say nothing really bad about anybody. Sure. guys went out of their way to try to screw me over or screw us over and it didn't work. And, you know, competition. Business. Yeah. It, it, competition makes you better, but that's the, that was the drama with Webfoot. They started as a spinoff of us and then off of them, Blackfoot came off of Webfoot. And I mean, it's just, uh, but we're still here, but that's the, that's the drama deal of it. The guy started their own business. I was, we weren't having them back anyway. So it didn't, I mean, it just, it was kind of a weird deal, but it turned out better for me. The best thing ever happened to us. Seven guys equal split. As far as I, I think there was seven. There might've been eight of them. That's a lot of hands in the cookie jar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of drama there. God almighty. One of my favorite people was one of the guys. He still is. I like him. Matt Sullivan was one of them. And Matt's a funny little bastard. God, he's funny as hell. And he was 18, 19 years old and just, you know, wanted more than what he was going to, what he was doing as a guide. He made good money working for me. They wanted to do their own thing. It just didn't work. Yeah. And it was just, there's not a manager, you know, and then the guy that ended up with it was the worst person of all of them that could have had it. And hunting's a cutthroat business, but you, mm-hmm. I realized a long time ago, you're not going to put people out of business in the hunting business. 
I mean, if they can get clients, and they take care of their clients, they're going to stay in business. And I think they thought they were just going to go in, open up their doors and all my customers were going to go to them. And they got a bunch of customers because they hunted with them. They know them. you know, I don't ever client that you have in the hunting business. If you run a big operation, Tony Vandemore, for example, Tony runs a big operation in Missouri. I doubt that Tony knows more than 20% of his clientele because he deals with the guy who pays the bill. Let's say that Halliburton, customer client of mine, they come out and they, they spend a bunch of money a year with me. Well, I know the guy that pays the bill for Halliburton. I don't know all the customer he's, he brings. Now, sometimes one of them will end up booking a hunt on his own and I'll get to know him. Well, see, Tony does the same thing at Habitat Flats. He knows the guy that's paying the bill probably and maybe one of the other guys, but he doesn't know all eight people in that group. But that guy that spends three days with those eight people, they get to know those eight people pretty well. And so guys like that, and they say, well, I'm going to start my own business. I'm like, well, hell, we'll go hunt with old Bubba here. We hunt with him every year. You know, we like old Bubba. He treats us good. Well, then Bubba goes somewhere else. It's not the same thing. You know, why don't we hunt that place? Well, that's Tony's place, you know. Yeah. Well, about that, well, that's Tony's place also. We didn't get the leases. We just got the customers. So that's kind of what happened. But I don't have any hard feelings. Best thing ever happened to us. That was a good question. But that, that's going way back, too. That's old school. Yeah, he sent, he sent that, and I saw it uh, I saw it earlier, and I'm like, I don't know. This one sounds like it's uh, sounds like it's got a little little background to it. So it's kind of interesting hearing that. You can ask me anything. I'm an open book. I don't have nothing to hide. What's the enchilada inc- incident with uh, Josh Stoner? Well, that was this actually one, this one. I think I know about with Josh and Mikey. Yeah, I think I've heard this. Mikey, I like Mikey a lot. I still do. I really do. I've enjoyed. I enjoy Mikey. Mikey and me will be friends until one of us is dead. I mean, we're going to be friends for a long time. We, we periodically talk and text. I like the kid. He's just a kid. And um, Josh is a great guy, a great friend. He's family also. Stoner's a little grouchy sometimes. And I'm not taking up for, for Mikey on this, but gra- Stoner can get kind of grouchy. He gets grouchy sometimes. And anybody knows Stoner. Stoner's a great guy and easy going. Well, he's grouchy. He's a fucking grouchy ass. Well, he was grouchy. We were playing cards one night. As grouchy as he was, he probably was losing that night, if I'm guessing. And I'm sure I've missed this whole story up, and Josh is going to call and correct me on what I fucked up. Anyways, Mikey ate the last enchilada. There was like three enchiladas left, and Mikey ate all three of them instead of saving one for Josh. So that's the enchilada story with Mikey Soberano. It was a just a fucked up deal. But I can't remember all the freaking details because we have stuff like that happens at all the time. That's the difference in our podcast in most places. Everything that happens here is open book. I mean, if you listen to the podcast during the hunting season, we talk a lot about what's going on. We were so busy this year and tired and stuff that we didn't do near the podcast during the season that we normally do. But we tell everything. We don't have nothing to hide. And we've got a video series coming out that's going to be chronicle on a lot of it. Last year we had a camera crew here. Next year we're going to have a camera crew here, a whole, whole bunch. But we're going to chronicle the real story of being at a hunting lodge. We're not going to chronicle just shooting piles of birds and we killed 60 birds and we're out of the field. We're going to chronicle flat tires, getting stuck, guys mm-hmm. being sick, Michelle me for overbooking. The, the true mm-hmm. shit that happens at yep. a big lodge. Not your, you know, the guy that runs four or five guys and meets them in town every day, he don't have a lot of drama. They hunt. They go meet, they hunt, they hunt a field. If he's got places to hunt, that's his, he goes on. But everything we do is so much different because we run a big, big, big deal. And we got everybody together all the time. Yeah. My guys all live around each other. We're get, So it's going to show all this shit. But this the enchilada incident would have been a great one of our new videos. And that video series will be out on YouTube probably in late July. We have not named it yet. But 
we're pitching it to some big, big, big companies after this season, and we're going to have a crew here that's going to be here all next hunting season. Awesome. I'll tell you what, man. There's some some people that – I don't know if they're still doing it. It's called Foul Reality, and they they kind of documented everything – everything about waterfowl hunting. I know it's not from an outfitter standpoint, but they went through everything. They went through the scouting. They went through setting up. They went through all the shit that can, that can go wrong. Like real life stuff. Yeah. Like layout blinds coming out of the back of pickup truck or flat tires or, you know, setting up on a field and not knowing that there's a guy on the other corner of the field and then having to work together to get that field, you know, the shit that happens that, everybody goes through but nobody ever but when when the guides do stuff they always want to make it look like you're looking at a you're looking at a highlight reel yep it, 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 i'll give you an example the dallas fucking cowboys who i hate could do a reality could do a, a video of their season and if, if you just watch that you'd be like i didn't win the super bowl this year no they got beaten the first round of the playoffs like they always do or didn't make the playoff but they can show you a highlight reel about how great it is every year mm-hmm. you know that's how colleges recruit kids university of texas who i love the longhorns hook them horns baby them fuckers are going to let you. I'm going to have them go to my funeral so they can let me down one last time. Because they always find a way to fuck up. But they recruit some of the best players in the college because they put that's, this reel up and they're like, oh, that's the greatest place in the world to go. No, call Jeff Stanfield. He'll tell you what the reality is. If you go to fucking Texas, you're going to lose five games that you should win every year. They're going to fuck it up. Well, that's what the reality – that's what our series is going to be is the real deal of what goes on. So, Mikey and the enchiladas, I can't tell you exactly what happened except Mikey – didn't think of nobody but himself, which Mikey's really good at that. And he told me he's working on that. He ate all three enchiladas, and it's got to be one of the most famous incidents up here, and I can't remember all the details. What's your next question? Uh, somebody asked what calls you guys use. I don't Pacific. know. Pacific calls. I, say, I think it's we are, Pacific. We are Pacific Pro Staffers. Trevor and Alex are great guys, great friends. Out, Trevor just – well, Trevor and uh, Holly were in Mexico with us. We all went to Mexico, and then they just – Trevor them just left here yesterday. Yeah, you just dropped a podcast with them. I was almost finished yeah. with that today when I got home from work. Really good guy. We didn't talk a lot about hunting. We talked about everything else. Yep. That's the way we do. Well, but. that's where we're at right now is we're, like, fucking in the middle of the off season. It's like, what are yeah, we going to talk about? We'll, we'll have we'll, – we'll start our public series again on ours pretty quick, but we're going to start – we're going to really do a lot of these honors series – with wounded veterans and tell their story. Cause that really is real touching to me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I like that. And we're going to do a lot more of that, but hunting wise, we, we, Alex and Trevor, but we do Pacific calls. And um, when I first got in the hunting business, I've got two, I've got a call display over here. I keep of calls that have had given to me. I don't ever sell anything. I keep all my old stuff and I'm hoping one of my grandkids will love them one day, but I've got three Tim grounds calls that from, 95 96 first something that, are, that he signed back that i had signed in 95 when i didn't even know who tim grounds was he didn't know who jeff stanfield was but anyway so i but so i started out with tim a long time ago i can't blow a call for shit anyways i'm not a caller but um pacific is who we use and i highly recommend great guys great shops pacificcalls.com yeah i tell you what my brother just sent me a picture like two weeks ago he just bought a house he's moving and stuff and um sent me a picture of a tote full of calls and on the very bottom I could see two, maybe three Tim Grounds calls that were like rolling around in the bottom of the the Rubbermaid tote. I'm like, are you just you just letting those things roll around in there or or what do you what are you doing with them? He goes, Oh yeah, these are just all my old calls. And I'm like, you know, you should you should probably pull some of those out and make sure they're um in good condition. Cause like those like those are like one of a kind. Like you're never gonna get there from the olden days, you know, back in the. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you one. Late 90s. I've got, I've got a lot of calls. 
Well, there's one less one now. One just fell. Anyways, I got a lot of cool stuff, old stuff that I like. I, I'm an old antique myself. The only thing that's old that I have that really looks good is my wife. Everything else is just old and used up. But this is a Shanghai spec call. And the guy's name was Mervis, I believe, was his name. And I can't remember his last name. Mervis Kai. Mervis? Mervis, I think, was his name. That's a hell Anyways, of a name. This call came from a lumber yard in southern Louisiana, probably around 1992-93. I can't blow this some bitch for shit. But this was the best call. The Kunasses love this call. And this is an old antique call that I have that I've kept that a guy offered me some pretty good money this year for it. And I turned him down. I've got an old, I've got a, a R&T daisy cutter, the original one that the man tuned that's worth, I don't know. I've had, I've got, I got offered a lot of money for it and I wouldn't sell it. I'm not gonna sell it. I won't go sell nothing, but that's, I, I like old shit like that. And what's your next question? That's all I got, man. I got There's three two questions. See, I'm not very popular. Dude, no, it's not that you're very, not very popular. So we're not very popular. Um, we got about as many people that listen to us as we had at our banquet for D. Let, 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 let me tell you something. Consistency. Mm-hmm. That's that's the key. The whole thing. We do three shows per week. Now we don't always release them on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday or Tuesday. We don't have that always down because we have we have lives and we go around it. But we do three shows every week, and I think people know that on Friday of any given week they can download three three podcasts that we've done for the whole every week we do three podcasts. And I think that's the whole, the whole beast of this is I, I, I'm, I'm being completely honest with you. I've had, I bet I've had 10 different guys in the last two months ask me about their podcast and a half of them aren't even, I don't even know where they're at anymore. It's a, it's a grand idea for a lot of people, but it's something you got to stick to and, and, and like doing. And that, yeah. that's the whole, that's the whole key to this deal is find something that, that you like and build your, you know, and you'll build up your clientele or your listeners. That was kind of my thing when we started, this was, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of West coast waterfowl podcasts. I mean, you got a lot of elk hunters, a lot of deer hunters, um, a lot of fishing guys, but, but you don't really got a lot of people around here talking about waterfowl. You got some guys in Idaho, a couple guys in Wyoming doing it. But other than that, like there, there's nothing over here for it. And the, in the West, the West coast of the U S is such a unique place for waterfowl. Like you, you can't get this experience anywhere else, really like the I amount would, of birds that we have and all that. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And it's too bad that I'm not more versatile in the waterfowl world because I could talk about this every single day. The, if, if me and Andy have talked about our top five places to hunt in the United States, my, if I could pick anywhere to go in the U S I would go hunt at Moses Lake, Washington with the boys from Pacific. That would be my number one place. I get invited to go all over. I can't go during hunt season. I think sometimes people invite me knowing I can't go, but <laughs> they just offer it to me, but yeah. I get invited all the time. I could go every week, seven days a week from September 1st till the end of season and go hunting at a great destination. I get invited everywhere and I can't go, but Moses Lake, Washington would be my, my would be my number one choice. I go, I'd love to go shoot a, some sea ducks. I think that would be fun. And hopefully but, not Harlequin because you can't do that shit anymore in Washington. Like shut it down. Shut it down. But shut I would love down. to go to um oh shit, the island that was attacked. Dutch Harbor. Dutch Harbor. I would love to go up there and hunt. And I would like to go to Moses Lake, Washington to hunt. I would like to go to Idaho. 
Um, Alex Langbell, my friend from Gundog Outdoors, has invited me to come up and hunt with him in Montana on his place. I would absolutely love to do that. I'm going to try to maybe do that late October, early November before we get going. But there's a lot of places like that. But the northern U.S. with the migration patterns that we haven't had the last couple of years, that's the place to go. And we're going to have winter again one day. One day, all these new outfitters that's cropping up from Kansas all the way to the Canadian border or we're going to have a real winter like we used to have. And even back in the eighties when we had a hard winter and everything's going to freeze up and everything's going to be down South again. Yeah. Yep. The boys, the Kunas is down in Southern Louisiana are going to be happy, happy, happy. And they're heroes because it's going to happen again one day. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I've never drove through the, the Sacramento Valley of California, which Sacramento Valley, I'm sure you're aware is like one of the, the yes. meccas for yes. waterfowl. I drove down there the 2nd of February and I almost shit my pants. There's so many birds down in the Sac Valley, between the Sac Valley and I think it's Los, Los Banos. There's so many rice fields and, and refuges. I mean, there's, I probably saw five or six fields that had between 30 to 50,000 snows in them. I saw hundreds of thousands of pintail. Like they're just, they're everywhere. Like I've, I didn't realize that the Sac Valley was so important to the pintail population until I drove through there and it, and it hit me that like, Oh, this is a big deal. Like this is a huge deal. That, that area right there, that, that Sacramento area, like Stuttgart, Arkansas, the mallards and stuff they do. Those are huge wintering grounds. The Texas panhandle. I mean, there's, there's areas that just big areas, lots of birds. That's one of them. That's a famous place. The scary thing for me out there is, is how long is politics going to let that happen? Because California is ran by all the fucking wacko, weird, bunny-hugging jackasses. In yeah, they're going to 32-hour work weeks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How can, what the fuck? How can you what even live off of that? Work? You know I'm, capped at, I'm capped at 40 right now, and I'm like, hey, um, so shit's going to get a little tight here for a couple <laughs> weeks. Uh, I don't have any overtime. But what gets me is, is you've got somebody that wants to work. They need workers out there. I don't, I don't understand that. I'm going to tell you, there ain't a farmer or a rancher or a football coach that I know of that works 40 hours a week. I don't know anybody successful that works just 40 hours a week. Now, I'm not talking about Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, because them Mm -hmm. fuckers both work more than 40 hours a week. They may not be fucking driving a damn sledgehammer on a damn railroad tie, but they work. Successful people work, you know? At 10 o'clock at night, before I got on the deal with you, I, I wouldn't consider myself successful by any means, but I had a guy, I'd done a couple of emails while I was in the office here doing this at at 8.30 at night. You know, that you, you got to work when you can. Yes. You know, the people that go to work at 8 and get off at 5 and they go Monday through Friday and that's all they ever do, I don't know how they ever get ahead. And now they want to make them get paid the same amount of money to work 32 hours, though. Right. That is what's yeah. going on. Yeah. 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 And that's just, that floors me. These fucking politicians don't have a fucking clue. You know, I heard um, AOC was bitching the other day about some big company. And they're like, have you heard of profits? Uh, have you heard of stockholders? You know, right. people don't right. fucking invest and buy stocks in those companies. So they can split the fucker up. So the guy sweeping the floor over there can make $200,000 a year. You know, if that's the deal, sign me up and give me a broom. Right. You know, if you were a broom, not that fucking kid from jail. Yeah, no shit. No, he'd fucking quit. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Was, in it, was it your guys' podcast where you guys were talking about how embarrassing it must be for Jeff Bezos to have Elon Musk look down yes. on him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's dollar shaming him. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. You imagine having being worth hundred million dollars and some fucker that's worth about three hundred billion laughing at your or hundred billion laughing at you. <laughs> his wife, him wanting to write a check for his wife for fifty billion. Elon's yeah. like, yeah, that's funny. I, um, I I just like that extra that ten percent that Elon snuck in on Twitter. Fifteen. Oh, I- is 15 now? I think it's 15. Yeah, he's going to keep buying until he owns all that son bitch. I wish he'd be, I wish he would make that not a publicly traded company and it changed the rules. He could do what he wants. God, what did he do? He backed out of it being a, he backed out of being a, uh, he don't want to be on this board, the board because he can only on own board. up to, up right. to what, 15%, right? Yep. And they can so, tell him what he's going to do. Yeah. So, so he's like, no, fuck you guys. I'm going to, I'm going to stay out of this. I'm going to just keep buying this shit. I'm gonna he's going to buy the, con- he's going to buy the controlling interest is what he's going to get. Yes. I have a, I have a client of mine that I'm not going to say her name, but they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Lots of, lots of, lots of money. And he was in Florida or somewhere. And he saw another wealthy, wealthy man that everybody knows that's world famous. I'm saying that. And his pilot knew their pilot. And he's like, my, 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 boss would like to just see the inside of that plane can he see it he said yeah hold on he said call he said yeah that he's not here right now so he got to go in the 747 that this guy had as a plane we'll call the guy donald trump just and it's not trump but it's a guy with that kind of money and stuff so this guy got to go on this plane and he walked off and he told my buddy he goes man it must be cool to have that kind of money here's a motherfucker worth a hundred million dollars and he's looking up to someone else. And so it don't matter what you got in the pie, there's somebody out there that has more, you know, and your key is go get what you like and what you want and get more. We live in the greatest place in the world. And they're trying to ruin it. Mm-hmm. I'll you tell know? you what, it's hard. It's hard right now to find guys. So I work, uh, I work in the construction field. So I do heavy equipment operating. I do concrete. I do forms. I do framing. I do all sorts of shit. And it is increasingly harder and harder and harder day after day to find somebody to come in and put the hours on that we put in i mean we got guys that last a couple weeks we got guys that last a couple months but we we don't have those long-term guys that want to be in it to work like we like i guess the difference between me and and a lot of people is like i take pride in what i do so i want to do a good job and i want to work hard like i'd rather go home and be tired and worn out then go home and have tons of energy and know that I didn't give a hundred percent at my job. But you get rewarded if you do that. And that's when I was 18 years old, our country was in a big recession, 1986, 85, 86. And there wasn't a lot of jobs in North Texas. Minimum wage was three 35 an hour. Now cost of living was not very much either, but that was it. So when you're 18 years old, then there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities. Oil field had just died. Oil was $15 $15 a barrel or something. And someone will correct me because they always do on this, but things weren't easy and stuff. I can't imagine being 18 years old right now today and be able to go to a construction site and say, Hey, we're going to start you at 20 bucks an hour. If you come in, you show up and go to work. We're going to pay you $30 an hour. If you'll make us a good hand. Oh shit. You can make a good living. You make, you bust your ass for six months and you show them you're going to do stuff. And you know what? We're going to pay for you to go to, to, you know, to learn some trades. We're going to get you certified in something. You can make a career here. You'll be making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yep. And you know what? People don't want to do that. People look down on trades. That's right. In 10 years, they're not going to. Yeah. They look down on trades. It's it's, I got an HVAC guy that hunts with me. And he told me that he sends three kids a year to HVAC school. And when they get out of school, they're making a hundred to $150,000 a year. Guaranteed. But he'll go put them through school, gives them a truck to drive to everything. And it's that hard to find people. But if, and I've told young kids at work, one of them more care. I said, listen, if you'll do that in 20 years, you can retire. You'll have had a good life. You're going to live in the Dallas Fort Worth area. 
in 30 years, you're 50 years old, 50 years old, you can retire completely and do what you want to do for the rest of your life. You know, that's just, there's so many opportunities for people to just get off their ass. Right. And they don't want to. And, 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 and I'm in a, I'm in a business where most people don't want to get off their ass. They want to hunt. That's why people get in the hunting business. I like to hunt. That's why I got in the hunting business. I didn't get in the hunting business to make a lot of money. I got in the hunting business because I didn't want to have a real job and I wanted to do this shit. I don't think anybody really gets, does anybody really get in the hunting industry as far as like guiding and stuff for the money? The the hunting business is either poor guys like me that have stuck it out and are hard headed and stuck with it and made something of it, or it's rich guys that are living off of trust funds and stuff where they don't really have to worry about money and they're just living their hobby. And God bless them. If my dad would have left me five, $10 million to do that with, I'd be doing the same damn thing. No hatred at all to them. God. And there's, but there's a lot of hunting lodges that have popped up over the in Kansas and stuff that are a bunch of rich guys that are just doing their hobby. And hell, God bless them. That's what they want to do. They're paying, they're hiring guides to come to work for them and paying people pretty good money to work. But no, you don't get in the hunting business to get rich. There's some guys that have gotten very wealthy doing it. But most people that are in the hunting business are, it's a passion. You know, if I can feed my family, since I raised three boys, fed my family, we've had a good life. Um, I get to travel and do things. Um, I get to do basically what I want to do basically six months out of the year. That's a pretty good swap trade off. I could, I've had some really good job offers as salespeople for companies and some management positions, but I don't want to do that. I, I like what I do. I like working for myself and my family. There's a lot of freedom to be had when you're self-employed. Absolutely. But I don't, I don't know very many rich people that have, I don't know a guy that's gotten in the hunting business poor that's flying a private jet. I know some guys that have a private jet that own some hunting business and hunting lodges and hunting land, but yeah. not the it's, other usually, it's usually the flip side of that coin. Yeah. I own, I, I have some mineral rights on a couple of places and I've never hit oil on any of them. And there's some new stuff coming and they're talking about big oil really close to where we are. And I'm hoping it hits it and stuff. And I thought, boy, if I had made about 10 million a year, I'd be a worthless fucker. I'm telling oh, you. Jesus, man. But, but you know what I'd do the same thing I'm doing. I'd be, right now. Yep. I'd be doing this right now. If I was making 10 million a year in the old business, right? I'd be doing the same thing because it's what I love to do. I might buy me a sprint car though. I've always wanted to own a sprint car. <laughs> I think that'd be fun shit. Not for my fat ass to drive. I'd hire somebody else to drive one, but I, I, I always thought it'd be cool to have a world of outlaw sprint car. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be but some would, cool shit. But I would do the same thing I do now. I mean, I would, I don't. And I think that's pretty good when you go through life. My dad died a poor man. He, he never had any money his whole life. He had tons of memories, tons and tons of friends. I think my dad died about as happy as anybody I've ever known. He didn't have a lot of regrets. He had a saying, he just wished he'd have done more of it. And that's, that's, that's a good thing to go through life as. Absolutely. So, that's a great, that's a great, uh, it's a great way to think about everything. You know, you yeah. can't take your money to the grave, but all your memories, all the, all the things you got to do in life. I mean, that's permanent. Nobody can take yeah. that away from you. You know, right up here, I've done, I've got, I've been all over, I've done things. I got lots and lots of friends. Um, life's good. I can't, you know, I got a lot of friends of mine that I got a, one of my best buddies, a very, very successful attorney. Well, I've had a whole lot more fun life than he has. Right. A whole lot more fun than he has. I got a lot of stories on him, make his wife jealous, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, Jeff. I tell you what, man, we're down to our last few minutes here. Um, this is our second set for everybody that's not going to be able to tell from the cut I'm going to have in the middle of this podcast. This is our second set of 40 minutes with Jeff Stanfield. Um, I'll tell you what, man. 
I want to. I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna have to have. I think we're gonna have to have him on again. Yeah. You, hey, you just call. You're I, you're a one of a kind guy. I don't know if anybody. I'm sure somebody's told you, but you are a one of a kind guy. And I don't care who called you a motherfucker or anything like that. You you got a you got a spot on the top of my contact list. Well, I, I appreciate that. My wife calls me an asshole quite often, so I am. <laughs> you know, I mine does too, and I'm wondering if it's not just a guy thing. I think it's a waterfowl I, thing. We've been married a long time, and. I married way over my head. Michelle is a huge part of this business. She makes a lot of things go here in this business. She takes care of a lot of things. And she's taught me a lot about customer service because I overlook a lot of things that she'll say something, you know, you need to. And, and I'm always the same way. I'm hard headed. God, man, I got time for this shit, blah, blah, blah. But I think about it and I think later about it. And um, my, you know, if it wasn't for Michelle, I, I probably wouldn't have ever achieved what I've achieved. And that's the honest truth. And my brother, the same way he takes care of the outside stuff and um, we're a team i get a lot of uh publicity now me and andy do because of the podcast and um it's a team effort but I, I appreciate that and i'd love to be on with you guys again i've enjoyed yourself and i'm just i'm just who i am i don't think i'm anything different than anybody else is i tell you what man you got a spot anytime on the show you want anytime you get bored and you want to you want to come on and just just talk the talk you send me a dm i'll be in touch with you larry and i both stay in touch yeah. and and you've always got a spot on the blind chatter podcast and, well, and two consistent listeners yes good i appreciate that very much yeah. um we're beating cnn today good for you guys we're um we're not but one day <laughs> one day if we, you stick we to it that's the key is sticking to it yeah stick stick to it be consistent and you and you'll get there so you just keep striking out. I appreciate you guys very much. Um, I wish y'all the best. If I can do anything, if we can help y'all anyways, please let me know. And if you'll send me a link to this, I'll share this on my page. I'll definitely send you a link, man. Everybody that's listening, this is uh, this is Jeff Stanfield, uh, the co-host of the Big Hawker podcast with the world famous Andy Shaver. You can find Jeff Stanfield online uh, on Instagram uh, at jstanfield68. Do you guys have a page for the... We do not have an Instagram page for the podcast. People ask me about that all the time. I don't know who the hell is going to take care of it. Andy, we got all this shit going on, all that. But Fucking put it on have... Andy. Just make him Well, do it. he's got his hands full. He does. He edits three shows a week, and um, he's got two boys and coaching sports. We're, we're not big enough to have a full-time social media person, but we're getting, getting close, close to it. And so that, that might happen probably with it. It depends how this new series goes. If we get a contract with Hulu or Netflix or anybody on our new series after this year, then we will have a full-time person working doing social media. But who, who knows if that'll ever happen. That could yeah. be just a pipe dream, but you got to have dreams. Got to have dreams, man. You got you to stick with it, but uh, appreciate it. And I do need the shout outs on Instagram because Andy's ahead of me on counts. And we talked about this other day on the show. I just want to get one more person than to follow me and I'm way behind. So I can just talk shit. I'll tell you what, Jay Stanfield 68 on Instagram. Uh, if you're listening, go give him a follow. I'm sure you post updates uh, about the Big Honker podcast on there when new shows come out, all that jazz. With following uh, Jeff, go follow Andy Shaver. I'm not even going to give out his Instagram handle. Uh, you can give it out. No, 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 no. You guys got to go search for it. You guys got to work hard for it. Well, yeah, look, looks up on Instagram, Facebook. Podcast comes out three times a week, the Big Honker podcast. Um, we are going to have a lot of giveaways coming up pretty soon too. We're going to a lot of stuff. We're going to give away a lot of swag. Um, we got some really cool stuff coming up. Check us out and stanfieldhunting.com if you have any questions. Guys, I appreciate it very much. I wish y'all the best. Tanner, Larry, thank you, sir, very much. God bless y'all both. Jeff, thank you, you take care, man. We'll be in touch. Hey, thank you, sir.